I do my best to not allow myself to be confined to holiday topics at the expense of the will of God or the Holy Ghost. And so this morning, it's not a Mother's Day sermon, but uh, I want to preach to you out of Luke chapter number 4. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. And again, we're going to read down to verse number 13. The Bible says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Let me pause there and say, you might ask, preacher, why do you believe that we have a perfect Bible today? Because I don't believe that God would ask me to live by every word if He didn't give me every word. Amen? And if He commands me to live by every word of God, I believe He's given me everything I need to do that. And so I don't just believe that this Bible contains the words of God. I believe it is the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, I believe it's exactly what it ought to be. Amen? And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, I covet your presence and power. Lord, I cannot accomplish the task set before me, Lord, in the energy of my own flesh. And I'm insufficient. But God, you promised me that if I'd submit to you and yield my body a vessel unto you, that you'd be my sufficiency. God, you don't, I don't know what the heart's needs are this morning, but you do, Lord. You know if there's one amongst us that is lost, that does not know Christ as a personal Savior. Lord, you know if there's one amongst us that's discouraged or haughty. God, you know what every need is. And so, Lord, the thing that I ask is that there'd be liberty for the preaching and liberty for the moving of the Holy Ghost in our midst. And, Father, that you would speak to each heart and to that direct need. I'd ask for your divine finger to press upon the issue most urgent in our life. And, Father, show us where we have aught with thee. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for the cross of Calvary. Thank you for the blood shed for me, shed for all that are here and for all in the entire world, Lord, I thank You for it. And we just ask that we'd be found under Your praise and honor and glory. 
We ask every bit of this in that precious name at which every knee shall bow. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. I know Luke chapter 4 is probably a familiar passage of Scripture to you. In fact, you'll find out that in the heart of man, the sentiment that the devil is trying to portray is common to all of our experiences. In fact, I've titled the message this morning, and I hope this don't put you off, but I've titled this message, The Devil's Favorite Sermon. Because you'll find as you study the Word of God that the sermon, if you will, that the devil preached this day to the Son of God is the same message that he has portrayed to the human heart in temptation since the beginning of time. This is a sermon he's preached a lot. This is a sermon he knows well. I know as a preacher there are certain sermons that I have my notes before me and I have to kind of hover close to them and I'm not very familiar with it. And then there's other sermons that I could preach. I could quote to you the passages of Scripture and I could preach to you even without having a Bible in front of me. Not because it's not biblical, but because I know the passages of Scripture. There are certain sermons that are quite familiar to this preacher's heart. And can I say that this sermon is something that the devil is very familiar with, for he's preached it many times. You'll find the synopsis of this sermon given in 1 John chapter number 2. And I want to read it to you. Verses 15 and 16 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, you cut that however you want to cut it, but it's as plain as God can make it. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... Now, here's the devil's three-point outline. Are you ready? The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. John wraps up uh, the devil's sermon pretty neatly here. And he says that it has three points, and we might call them the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Uh, Probably, if you've lived any length of time, you've heard the devil preach this sermon to you. You've heard him tempt you in this way. He tries to offer the world to the human heart, but it's an empty promise. All the devil's nickels are plug nickels, and all of his pearls are plastic pearls, and all of his diamonds are cubic zirconians. Somebody say amen right there. The devil can't offer you anything that's worth having. Nothing. But we find that he preaches his sermon over and over and over again in the Word of God. In fact, we find out that it's the very first sermon that he ever preached to the human heart. There in the Garden of Eden when the serpent saddled up in all subtlety and wickedness and sinfulness and began to tempt Eve, we find that he tempted her with the same thoughts and he preached the same sermon. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Because listen to what she says in verse number uh, 6 of chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. It says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh, good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. That's the pride of life. The fact is, the devil's always preached this sermon. It's his favorite. And can I say that he preaches it not only to every saint, but to every sinner. I don't know if you realize it today, but those that have never accepted Christ as their Savior are in real danger of hellfire. Preacher, you're being dramatic. About as dramatic as this Bible Doesn't the Bible teach that uh, whosoever uh, dies without Christ as their Savior, their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life that they're cast into the lake of fire? Isn't that what the Bible teaches? 
You say, preacher, you're narrow-minded. It's all right to be narrow-minded if you're just about that narrow-minded. I'm about as narrow as this Bible is when it comes to salvation. And I believe that there's a real danger. Every single day, I believe men and women are dying and going to hell. And there may be some in this room. I I don't know because I don't know the human heart. But there may be some in this room that if they died right now, they'd die and split hell wide open. The truth of the matter is, there's only two kinds of people in this room. You're either saved or you're unsaved. You say, I'm religious. That's not a category. You say, I love my family. That's not a category. You say, I'm a good person. That's not a category. You're either lost or you're saved. You're either a child of the devil or a child of God. You say, I'm no child of the devil. I'm religious. Christ said to the Pharisees, said, you do always as your father, your father the devil. Truth of the matter is, you've either been born again of the Holy Spirit of God, and you have a new nature within you, and you're a child of God, born of His Spirit. And listen, if that sounds foreign to you, I'd check up. Amen? If you don't know what that means, to be born again of the Holy Spirit of God, I believe I'd check up. I I, I believe I'd get on my knees before God and say, Lord, I need to know, I need to know, I need to know that I'm saved. We all know that word saved. Amen. We all know that. I promise you, I, I go in a, in a five block radius of this church. I wouldn't find a person that's unsaved. You say, no, you wouldn't. Sure, I've done it. I've done it. And everybody's saved. But when you start asking people things like, does the spirit of God live within you? They look at you like a calf staring at a new gate. <laughs> they look at you like they don't have a clue what you're talking about. When you say do you have a relationship with the son of God. They look at you like they have no clue what they're talking about. We've learned what that saved word means. That saved word means, preacher, leave me alone. That's what that means to most people. But you see, it's bigger than the preacher bugging you. And it's it's bigger than church folk bugging you. Your eternal soul hangs in the balance on this one issue. And my question is this. Have you bought into the devil's sermon this morning? We find that the devil comes to the Son of God. You say, why is that significant? By the way, the Bible teaches in the book of Hebrews that he was tempted in all points like as we are. Yet without sin, it should be no surprise that the devil came and tempted the Son of God. But let me go further in saying, if he's going to tempt the Son of God, let me say he's going to tempt the saints of God, and he's sure going to tempt the sinners of this world. And the Bible teaches us that Christ had been in the wilderness for 40 days. The book of Mark tells us that he had been amongst the wild beasts. The book of Matthew teaches us that the devil had been tempting him this entire time. And we come to Luke's account and we find this showdown, if you will. We find this altercation between the devil and the Son of God on this matter of temptation. It's interesting to note that Christ did not rebuke him out of his presence, but rather answered him with the word of God. God spoke him into existence, he could have spoke him out of existence. But rather he could, and there's no real proper term to say this, so I'm just going to pick one and say it. He, he, he chose to unmantle his deity and handle the situation like you and I are going to have to. He spoke the word of God to him. And by the way, not in an abracadabra way either. Amen. I've heard people say all the time, well, if the devil's bothering you, you just rebuke him. You better be careful about that. The Word of God's quick and powerful, sharper than two-edged sword. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is what created this world. The Word of God is what's going to judge this world and the devil, uh, who's the God of this world. That's why it has the power over him. Not, not your one, two, three abracadabra. Not that mess. The Word of God does. So we find that the devil comes to our Lord and he begins to tempt him. And he tempts him in these three ways. 
Now I want you to notice, we look at these three ways and, and these three uh, areas that he tempted him in, you'll find that in, in a sense he tempts him first concerning his passions. And then he tempts him concerning his possessions. And then he tempts him concerning his position. You'll find that the first temptation deals with doing things. The second temptation deals with having things. And the third temptation deals with being somebody. And in a sense, we might say that the first is a temptation to the body and the second to the soul and the third to the spirit. But let's just say that this is a comprehensive temptation. The devil knows what he's doing this morning. He knows what he's doing. And I want you to notice three things. Look first with me. The first altercation, the Bible says, And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. If you're jotting them down, write down this. We first see an appeal to his passions. You may not be familiar with the use of the word passion in that sense, but the Bible says of Elijah that he was a man subject to uh, like passions as we are. It deals with our desires. It deals with, with what we want out of life. It deals with the pleasures of the flesh. Now, Christ had been 40 days in the wilderness. He is hungry. Uh, do you know that he was 100% God, but he was 100% man too? He got tired, he got weary, he got hungry. And his body was craving food. But this had been a time that he had set apart to commune with Almighty God. By the way, if you don't pray, I want you to consider this thought. If the Son of God picked a time to set aside and pray, I think we need prayer, don't you? But we find that he's hungry and he's starving. And the devil comes to him and says, you know, you're the son of God. This is not befitting of you. Uh, here you're born in a manger. You're baptized in a river. You have no home, no place to lay your head. And here you are starving. You're the son of God. If thou be the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And can I tell you, he could have done that. He could have. He could have commanded that mountain to become bread. Amen. He could have done whatever he wanted to. And can I say that eating bread was not wrong? In fact, we'll find many times Christ broke bread in communion and fellowship with his disciples. And, and, and truly, the symbol of communion that we have with our Lord is that of broken bread. Nothing wrong with eating bread. But I want to say there was two things about this that he was trying to get the Lord to do. And let me say that there are two things, two ideas that the devil has sold to each and every sinner in the world today. I want to say that the first thing we see is fleshly satisfaction. You're hungry. You need to satisfy your needs. You know what the mantra of the world is today? If it feels good, do it. Your wants and desires and needs are the preeminent thing in this life. And if it feels good, do it. That's the thought. That's the message of today. In fact, you see it all the time. People will say this. People will say, just follow your heart. What do they mean by that? Your heart doesn't really lead you anywhere. Your heart is a fleshy organ that pumps blood throughout your body. What they mean is the seed of your emotions and your desires. Just follow your heart. But the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Let me just, let me just, I mean, lower the cannons and light the fuse. Do you know that you're not here for you? You're here for Him. You say, but I'm not a Christian. It doesn't matter. You're still here for His glory. Now, the, de uh, the, the Lord is, is not desirous that His children should suffer. 
He doesn't want you to not have, just to not have. I don't believe like the monks of old that would go and live in a monastery and take a vow of silence. Now, I believe some people ought to take a vow of silence. But uh, I don't believe that that merits any favor with God. That's not what I'm trying to say. I don't believe selling off all your goods and giving them away just to give them away to try to merit some kind of salvitic uh, goods with God is going to do you any good. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just merely saying if you live in this life to please you and to satisfy you, you're going to die and split hell wide open. You're going to die and split hell wide open. Because let me tell you something, the flesh rejects God. The Bible says the natural man is at enmity with God. He rejects God. He hates God. Your flesh is never going to feel like getting saved. Your flesh is never going to feel like bowing its knee to an almighty God. And the devil knows if he can appeal to your flesh, he's probably got you licked. I'll tell you what we live in today. We live in a world of people that are driven by their flesh. That right? Turn on the TV, neighbor, and tell me we're not driven by flesh in this world. You turn the television on, you see more flesh than you would have seen in a, in a back alley theater 50 years ago. Right? Amen? Isn't that true? They can't even sell a hamburger without using sex to do it. That's the world we live in today. If it feels good, do it. Just do it. If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Uh, nature is here to cater to you. God's here to cater to you. That's the message of this world. You know what people? most people ask when they join a church? What do you have for my family? I didn't know it was about your family. I thought it was about him. Now, I believe we ought to have things for family. I believe family is important. But, neighbor, I believe whenever we sit there and say, what do you have for our family? God wants to look and say, what does your family have for my church? It's not all about you. We say, well, what will being a Christian gain me? (laughs) It'll gain you more than you could ever get rejecting the Lord. But can I say it's not about giving you a nicer car or a bigger house. You're literally in danger of hellfire. And if you live this life according to the whims and desires of the flesh, the Bible says you'll go the way of all flesh. We see a fleshly satisfaction spoken of. But here's something I don't know if you've considered. We see a fleshly salvation spoken of. Stop and think about what he's asking him, what he's saying. If thou be the Son of God, command that this stone... Be made bread. Now, we've already said that this temptation is a temptation of doing. And what he's essentially saying is you need to validate your status as the Son of God by what you do, not by who you are. Can I say, of course, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Of course he is. The Bible teaches it clearly. And, and by many infallible proofs, he showed it to be so. The greatest of which was his resurrection. But let me tell you this too. Let's, let's pull it in the realm of humanity. And let me ask you this. What is it you're basing your status as the Son of God upon? We find what he's teaching here is a work salvation. If you're the Son of God, prove it by what you're doing. If you're the Son of God, you're going to become the Son of God by what you're doing. That's what He's teaching Him. We know that's false. Can I say there's only one thing that can avail you? And we see that Christ alludes to it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Listen, neighbor, if you're saved today, you're not saved because of anything you've done. 
You're not saved because you joined a church. You're not saved because you got baptized. You're not saved because because you've uh, observed ordinances. You're not saved because you're a good person. You're not saved because you love your family. You're not saved because you give to charity. If you're saved today, you're saved only by the full pardon of Christ purchased on Calvary. That's the only way. There's nothing you can do. You say, what about baptism? You know what happens when you baptize a sinner? He goes down a dry sinner and comes up a wet sinner. The baptistry water here at Wall Ridge Baptist Church has as much saving power as the whole Atlantic Ocean poured into one spot, and that's nothing. Nothing. I can baptize you, I can dunk you, I can sprinkle you, I can spray you, I can take a super soaker to you, and it's not going to wash away your sins. Might wash away a little bit of that stink, amen. <laughs> but it ain't going to wash away your sins. It's not about anything you've done. The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved. By grace are ye saved. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen to me. Any gospel that is not a faith-based gospel is heretical. And the Apostle Paul called it another gospel. Any gospel that is not purely based upon the finished work of Christ on Calvary is heretical. And let me tell you what the greatest, uh, the most dangerous error is. The most dangerous lie is that that's mingled with truth. It's not your baptism. It's not your church membership. It's not your good works. None of these could avail you. It, it, you know, the Bible doesn't say for the wages of sin is joining a church. Am I right? The Bible doesn't say the wages of sin is getting baptized. The Bible doesn't say the wages of sin is to be a good person. But the Bible says for the wages of sin are death. You've got to die to pay for your sin. And it can either be your death or his death. Those are the only two choices. I wonder what you're basing your salvation on today. You get all kinds of answers when you knock on doors. I'm telling you, some of you fellows aren't getting out knocking on doors. You're missing out. You talk about comical, neighbor. <laughs> You'd be amazed the things you hear. You'd be amazed the things that's happened. One of our fellows, I can't remember who it was. I think maybe AJ when he was with us or somebody. One of them knocked on the door and a fellow come to the door naked. I mean, I'm comfortable in my own home, people. Don't get me wrong. I'm comfortable. You're probably not going to see me in a suit and a tie at my house. But if you come by, you'll see me in something. Amen. <laughs> it's comical. And you get all kinds of things. You'll knock on the door. And you'll ask them that question. Have you ever been saved? And they give you the answer that they know to give, which is yes. And if that's all you ask people, you're never going to lead a, a single soul to heaven. Never, never one. Never lead a single soul to Christ. You know what you ask them then? What are you basing that on? I'm not saying to be re rude or unkind or mean. Please don't do that. I'm just saying, if you have, what are you basing that on? You'll get all kinds of things. People say, well, somebody prayed with me one time. Well, that's good, but that can't save you. Well, somebody prayed for me one time. That's good, but that can't save you. Well, I joined the church down here. You'll ask them sometimes. I'll say, where do you go to church? They'll say, I go to church down. And I love it when it's a church I know. And I know the pastor. Because I always say, Really? Who's the pastor down there now? <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, there's nothing, nothing, nothing you can do to save yourself. But the devil would love for you to believe that your own good works can get you to heaven. The devil does not send people to hell by making them bad people. People are bad already. The devil sends people to hell by making them good people without the grace of God. That's what he does. And that's the only good he can put in your life is a false good and a, and a hypocritical good. He can't put the Spirit of God within you. He can't wash you from your sins and save you by His grace and wash you in His blood. He can't do that. 
Only Christ can do that. But all He's got to do is convince you that you're just good enough to not go to hell. Most people don't believe they're good enough to go to heaven. Most people believe they're just not bad enough to go to hell. But people don't die and go to hell because they're bad. They die and go to hell because they're lost. And every one of us were born lost sinners. We find an appeal to passions here. Notice, secondly, we see an appeal to possessions. Look at verse number 5. And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Can I say that the devil not only is interested in showing you an appeal to passions, but an appeal to possessions, and the first way that he does that is by giving you a false perception. He takes the Lord up into a high mountain, and in a moment, it it was something we might call miraculous or supernatural. In a moment, He shows Him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. You say, what does that mean? I believe that does not just mean that He showed Him all the kingdoms, but showed Him all the glory and all the times of the kingdom. showed Him everything in a moment of time. And He looks at Him and He says, all this is mine, and I'll give it to thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Can I say to you, If you have an earthly perspective about this world, you're going to believe that the devil's going to win. Do you hear what I just said? If you have an earthly perspective of this world, you're going to believe that the devil is going to win. Uh, Let me illustrate it this way. Let me ask you a plain question. I want you to answer honestly now. Honestly. If you were to look around at this world right now, right now, and ask yourself this question. I want you to consider this in your heart. Ask yourself this question. Who does it look like is winning? First president ever to support homosexuality. Are are military chaplains being persecuted and told they cannot share the faith of Jesus Christ with other soldiers? Who does it look like is winning? It's not going to be long, neighbor, till we won't even be able to put up the Ten Commandments in our yard, let alone the courthouse yard. Who does it look like is winning? It almost looks like all of the kingdoms of the world belong to the devil. And can I say that in a sense, they do. The Bible calls the devil the God of this world. And there's no question that the mystery of iniquity is already working. And the devil has a greater influence in this world in the immediate than God does. But can I tell you that there's, there's something missing from that equation? He showed him all that in a moment of time, but he didn't show him the end result. (laughs) He didn't show him the end result. Oh, he showed him the great hanging gardens of Babylon. Oh, he showed him uh, the great Colosseums of Rome. He showed him uh, the great pantheon of of, uh, Greece. He showed him the great pyramids of Egypt. showed him all the great accolades of man's energy and wealth, but he could not show him that final kingdom. The Bible describes four, and I'm not going to teach a theology lesson, but the Bible describes four world empires in the book of Daniel. But there is a fifth. <laughs> there is a fifth. Uh, the Bible describes the, uh, the Babylonian empire. The Bible describes the Medo-Persian empire. The Bible describes the Grecian empire under Alexander the Great. By the way, if you don't believe that Bible, you just read what it says about Alexander the Great's empire. 
It, it, it predicted that he would die, that he would sweep swiftly, fastly, and thoroughly across the world conquering. That's exactly what he did. It, it describes how he would die prematurely, and he did in his 30s. And it describes how his kingdom would be divided amongst four different areas, and it was four different generals that they divided Alexander's Grecian Empire under. If you can read that neighbor and not believe in the inspiration of that Bible, you're blind. You're blind. But we find that there's four empires. The Roman Empire is the fourth one. But the Bible describes a fifth. Daniel says, I saw a stone cut without hands. And that stone was taken and cast at the feet of that empire, that fourth empire, which is the old Roman empire, but it's also the coming Roman empire, the great whore of Babylon, as the Bible teaches, that will raise up as a one world government. And that stone is taken and cast at the feet of that empire and it shatters that statue. And the Bible says that rock grows and fills the entire earth. That's the kingdom of the ancient of days, church. That's the kingdom of the Son of God. That's the kingdom that He spoke about. That's the kingdom that fills the earth. He didn't show Him that kingdom. He showed Him the kingdoms He wanted to, but He didn't show Him that kingdom. The devil deals in half-truths. And he tried to make Him believe that He would be bettered, bettered by following Him because the world belongs to Him. Now, let me take it into our realm. You know what the devil tries to tell our young people? Listen, the devil tries to tell our young people, if you want to be successful, you've got to compromise your biblical standards. Isn't that right? You know what the world, uh, the devil tells you? If you're going to be successful, you've got to forsake God's house to do it. If you're going to be successful, you've got to not share the gospel. That's going to put people off. And let me tell you what the devil tells the sinner. The devil tells the sinner, if you want to be happy... Sin is the pathway to happiness, not the Savior. The devil gives you a false perception. He'll show you the kingdoms of the present. He'll show you the kingdoms of the past. But he won't show you that future kingdom. He won't show you that throne. He won't show you those crowns. He shows you only the present. We see a false perception. Notice a false promise. If thou wilt worship me, all this shall be thine. All this shall be thine. The devil tries to tell people he's going to make them happy. The devil has never, never had a happy person. Hear me? The devil's never had a happy person. The devil doesn't have any happy old people, doesn't have any happy young people, doesn't have any happy skinny people, don't have any happy fat people. The devil doesn't have a single happy person. It's a false promise. Go ahead and ask. Go ahead and ask the Hollywood stars that have reached the pinnacle of their profession. Ask them if they're happy. They drink themselves into a stupor. Their marriages are wrecked. They live in a dream world. That's not the actions of a man that has fulfillment. That's not the actions of a woman that understands the role that God has given her in this life and the happiness of God. That's not, that's not a person that's happy. You'd be amazed at the suicide rate amongst the wealthy. Not because wealth is wrong, but because wealth is insufficient to the human soul. Notice the third thing. I'm going to quit. We see an appeal to passions, an appeal to possessions, Notice an appeal for position. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down hence. 
For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. I want you to notice two things about this. First, He tries to beckon him to a revelation of his person. You see, that's in Psalms 91 that that passage is given. But, I, you know, I don't know about you. I'm pretty sure. You may be more spiritual than me, but I'm pretty sure if I was climb up on top of, uh, you know, the first Tennessee building downtown or something, some high building, and, uh, and if I was to say, oh, he's given his angels charge over me to keep me. Oh, well, first off, if they didn't tase me and drag me down, security didn't. If I jumped off there, the, the last thing I'd remember is my feet going through my head. Amen? Splat! The fact is, that, that passage doesn't apply to me. Right? It doesn't apply to me. You can do that if you wish. But that doesn't apply to you. That passage was prophetic. That's in Psalms 91, which is a messianic psalm, portions of it. And it, it refers only to the Son of God. Now you say, why is that significant? Because what the devil's really trying to get Christ to do is to jump off the pinnacle of the temple and to reveal that He is the Son of God. To reveal that He is the Messiah. Now you say, what's wrong with that? John said, He must increase, but I must decrease. What's wrong with that? In John chapter 3, Christ said, The Son of Man must be lifted up. The Bible says, If I be lifted up, Christ said, I'll draw all men unto myself. What's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It wasn't time yet. And what He was trying to get Him to do was to glory in self. You know what the ambition for position in life is? It's to glory in self. I'll tell you what Satan did in the garden. In the garden, you know what he told uh, Eve? said, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He was saying, God has been telling you what's right and wrong. But you eat of this fruit and you can decide what's right and wrong. You'll be as gods. He was trying to get them to elevate and glory in themselves. And let me tell you what the message of this world is. The message of this world is that nothing is absolute. Everything is relative. God's word is a fairy tale. And you live your life how you want to, and God will be fine with that. Can I tell you that that's not how God operates? People, you ask people sometimes, why do you do what you do? I feel like it's right. Why do you feel like it's right? I don't know, I just do. You can ask a little child that sometimes. A little child... How many of you, your children misbehaved? Any of you? Okay, a few. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to expect. So, uh, you know, I, I figure probably a few of them didn't. And there's probably times you asked them this. I can just hear parents asking this too. And I know I'm going to do the same thing. I, I can hear parents saying, what were you thinking? Why, why did you do that? And you know what a kid will say? A kid will say, I don't know. I don't know. You know what they're saying? They're saying it seemed right to me. Seemed like something I wanted to do. And since it seemed like something I wanted to do, I did it. Now let me tell you what happens. You ask people, why do you believe what you believe? And they say, hmm. Why do you think you're going to heaven? I don't know. Why do you believe you're okay with God that you've been justified? I don't know. I just do. I just do. That everything's relative, that nothing's absolute, that's what the devil's trying to convince this world of. That there is no absolute truth. And boy, they've done a good job of it, haven't they? 
There's schools in this country where a kid can put two plus two is five on a paper and they'll pass him because they don't want to hurt his feelings. God help us. It ain't no wonder you can't get the right change when you go to Burger King. Amen? That's silly. That's stupid. But that's the world we live in. They're trying to ingrain in the human heart that what you think is right is right. But God says there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the ends are over the ways of death. It's not about what you think is right. It's about what God's Word teaches. Notice the second thing. He was trying to get him to rebel against God's plan. You know what would have happened? There were times already in the life of Christ when they tried to take him and forcibly crown him king. What do you think would have happened if he had come down off that pinnacle, legions of angels had swooped in and carried him aloft? I'll tell you what the devil was trying to get him to do. The devil was trying to get him to detour from the cross. Trying to get him to not go the way of the cross. To not die for your sins. To not die for my sins. Let me tell you what the ultimate purpose of the devil is. It's to turn sinners away from the cross. Your only hope is in the cross this morning. You know that? It's the only hope that you've got. That's the only hope. And the devil will do everything he can to try to get you to turn away from the cross. To depend on your good works. To depend on your morality. To depend on your charity. But the fact of the matter is this. The only hope you've got in this world is the cross of Christ. None other name, the Bible says. None other name. Given among men under heaven whereby ye must be saved. You say, I don't want to be saved. Christ told a religious teacher named Nicodemus, you must be born again. The only hope you've got is the cross of Calvary. But can I tell you, it's a wonderful hope. Can I tell you it's a conquering hope? Can I tell you it's a freely offered hope today? Can I tell you the only thing that will keep you from salvation is you? Can I tell you you can come to know the Savior today? Not as a historical figure, but as a personal Savior. He's willing to save you today. You say, what about that preacher? What about that old devil? What's going to happen to him? A lot of times we measure the merit of a man's ministry by, by what happens with him. You know, he's quoting Psalms 91 to the Lord. By the way, he, he, uh, he misquoted it. The Bible says in Psalms 91, shall keep thee in all thy ways. He was trying to get him to go his own way. The psalmist said, the Lord will keep you in all of his ways. But the devil stopped short. I don't know if you realize that. Turn with me, Psalms 91. We're, we're done, I, I, I promise you. But I just can't move on without, without showing you this truth. What's going to happen to that devil? You say, but he, he sounds so good. You say, but he preaches so good. You say, but he wears nice suits and he appeals. You say, he's got, you know, wavy hair, amen, and pastures in Texas and has pearly white teeth. I didn't say that, did I? But you say, he just looks so good. What's going to happen to that preacher? Look what it says in Psalms 91. It speaks of how that the angels would bear him up, keep him in all thy ways. Look at verse 13. The devil didn't want to quote this. Now, this is messianic, talking about the Savior. <laughs> it says, Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. <laughs> He didn't want to quote that verse. You know why? Who do you think the lion is? 
The devil is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Who's the adder? Who's the serpent? The Bible says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. You say, who's the dragon? The book of Revelation calls him that old dragon. That was his death sentence. He said, if you'll only bow your knee to me, I'll give you everything. But he didn't realize that all judgments committed under the sun. And he didn't realize that there'll come a day when all knees are going to bow before him. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. That old devil, he can quote you scripture sometimes, but he either has to misquote it or quit quoting it because before long it's going to condemn him. It's going to show his death sentence. The Bible says concerning death, and I know death and, and the devil are different, but the devil is the him that hath power over death. And the Bible says the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. But there's coming a day, the Bible teaches, when the devil is going to be bound in chains and cast into a bottomless pit. And after a thousand years, he'll be turned loose to tempt the nations once more. Gather together the nations from the four corners of the earth, and he's going to gather them to the battle of Gog and Magog. And the fire of God is going to fall from heaven and destroy those that are encamped around the holy city. You say, that's nuts. Read your Bible. Revelation chapter 20. It's all there, neighbor. The Bible says afterwards that the devil was cast into the lake of fire. You go his way if you want to, sinner. You say, you calling me a sinner? Yeah, just like I'm a sinner. You go, you go his way if you want to, lost man. But you'll bear the same fate he does. You don't have to go that way. You can bow the knee in that day, or you can bow the knee today and accept Him as Lord and Savior. He'll cleanse you, wash you in His blood, save you. You can be born again of His Spirit.